Wasn't that glorious music today? Thank you, Josh. My name is Pastor Gary Seifers, and it's my privilege this morning to bring you the word. Now, two years ago, I was going to preach on a weekend like this, right at the start of the year, and it was the one time in 13 years that I've been here that we shut down. So it's been kind of a running joke on our staff that uh, whenever I'm scheduled to preach, it might be, there might be a storm or we might have to close down, but not so today, and I'm glad. So I guess I should, that gets your expectations up. I've had two years to work on this sermon, so. <laughs> I'd like to greet all of you that are here. Thank you for joining us at this hour, and especially I'd like to recognize the kids that are here. If you're a kid, raise your hand. Yeah, kids at heart too, I guess, huh? It's good to have you kids here with us. We have usually three to 400 people online as well. We welcome you to uh, our worship service today. Our traditions friends are here and our kindred folks as well are here with us today. Happy New Year. Sunday, a New Year's Day. I can't think of a better way to start the new year. Worshiping, hearing God's word, fellowshipping together. Isn't that great? Our ushers are gonna be coming down the aisles now. And if you need a Bible to use, uh, please slip your hand up and they'll be happy to give you one of those. Uh, you're welcome if you don't have one at home, need one, you're welcome to keep it uh, as well. It's our gift to you. A month ago, we explored one of the names for God from Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. You may remember that Sunday after Thanksgiving. And I told you then there would be more to come. Well, today's the more to come. We learned about Jehovah Kadesh, the God who is holy and expects us to be holy also. Wow. We ask, how's that even possible? The Bible gives us the answer. It says that once I have trusted Christ as my personal savior, some things happen. It says I'm made holy. The past, the penalty for my sin is taken care of. David said, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Once you trust Christ, his sacrifice on the cross covers all the debt of your sin, the penalty. He also says that we can daily become more holy. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the present and the power that's available to have victory over sin. We can talk about the future when we'll be free from even the presence of sin when we're at home with the Lord. And this year, just as every year that goes by, that's the privilege of some of our saints from our fellowship here, to see the Lord face to face and be completely free from the burdens of sin, even in its presence. Well, what does all this mean today as we begin a new year to, together? In your worship folder, you'll find an outline for today's lesson. Today we're going to review sanctification, part one, the penalty of sin being paid. We're going to focus mainly on 
the power that we have over sin, being saved from that, and then we're going to discover a process of becoming more like Christ, our struggle and our hope. It was a beautiful song. His name is our Hope it is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Wasn't that a beautiful song that we sang together? Well, let's pray together and ask God to teach us from his word today. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. Illumine us by your spirit. Take your word and make it stick in our minds and hearts and transform our lives, we pray. Thank you that this time isn't about the speaker or the setting, it's about you and your word. Help us to hear it clearly and know how it applies in our own personal experience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If only he had known. The story is told of a West Texas rancher who lived through the Great Depression years of the 1930s. As the crops dried up and his cattle died, he eventually found himself without any money at all, destitute, dependent on the government, and about to lose his land as well. Then one day, an oil company contacted him, suggesting that there may be vast oil reserves under his worthless, parched soil. The oil was there all the time. He just didn't know about it. Overnight, he became a very wealthy man. In many ways, Christ followers can be in a similar situation. Even though we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior, we often do not begin to understand the riches of God's grace and power that are available to us, not just when we leave this life and enter heaven, but today as we strive to honor God in this life. But first, let's review. Sanctification, part one, talking about our spiritual position in Christ. This, as I said, was the theme of our message uh, about a month ago. In Ephesians 1, 4, God's wonderful plan of redemption is detailed. It says he planned to buy us back, to redeem us from sin, and to make us holy. The word means to set apart. It means for us to be identified as his. He wants us to be like him. Hebrews 10 says that he took care of the penalty for our sin, death, once and for all. John 3.16 says that we can pass from spiritual death to spiritual life just by trusting in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Kids, I know a lot of you know this. Always when I ask, uh, someone very quickly says it. Kids, turn to your parents, and if you don't have kids next to you, adults, say it to each other. Say John 3.16 right now. Now, I won't ask you which version you said it in, but (laughs) yeah, God so loved us that he made it possible if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we pass from death to life. 
Romans 8.1 clearly states that there's no condemnation for those who have put their faith in Christ. Buried in the deepest sea, as far as the east is from the west, remembered no more, our sins, as the song says, are G-O-N-E, gone. The penalty for all our sin is paid, and holy God, Jehovah Kadesh, sees us as being in Christ. In other words, in the spiritual position of being already holy. Thanks to our gracious God. Jesus said that after his death, those who know him personally as the way, truth, and life would be permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that the Holy Spirit spiritually baptizes or introduces us into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit puts its God's seal upon us until the day of redemption, according to Ephesians 4.30, and provides us with spiritual gifts to fulfill our role in the body, the church. All this happens in the spiritual realm by grace. These acts of the Holy Spirit are not dependent on human effort or good works. Have you ever been in awe of the changed lives of the disciples? They went from being fearful and confused to being courageous and powerful witnesses, willing to die for their faith, which most of them did. In Acts 17.6, the Bible says that their witness upset or turned the world upside down. Today's, in today's language, you could say it went viral or it's trending, perhaps. What changed? Well, here's the secret. They had a personal relationship with the living God and his spirit dwelling within them. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 17 explains this change. It says, for the love of Christ controls or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. If anyone, therefore, be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. My wife Cheryl and I, this past year, have enjoyed reading a book, and I didn't uh, have a slide made of it, but it's a one-year Christian history, a devotional book on events that happen on each day of the year, throughout the year, um, th throughout Christian history. And it was very interesting to hear the amazing stories of Christ followers throughout the century who were willing to live and many times to die for their beloved Savior. Not out of duty or in an attempt to earn God's favor, but in gratitude for the grace of God and the forgiveness of their sins. You know, God is still writing stories like that today. And he wants your life and mine 
to be lived out as a fulfillment of his eternal plan. He wants us to know holiness, not only positionally, but as a practical daily experience. You say, what does that mean? Well, let's explore a second aspect of sanctification, being saved from the power of sin. God's goal for believers is that they're daily transformed into the likeness of his son. The early believers were called Christians. That was meant to be a derogatory term. It meant little Christ. But in reality, that's what God's desire or plan for us is, that we would be like his son. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul pleads with us to dedicate ourselves to God and not be conformed to this, the world's way of thinking, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to think and live as God desires. In 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16, Peter reiterates this theme of nonconformity, being different, being sanctified. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." We'll look now at what conformity to the world is, and then I'll explain nonconformity in our next section. Conformity is allowing the world to squeeze us into its mold. We may have trusted Christ, <clears throat> but is there hard evidence that something has changed? If you were accused in a court of law of being a Christ follower, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or do you still think and act like you did before with a few church activities and some prayer thrown in when you're in a tough spot? If we are not careful, we can adopt a folk tradition of church instead of evidencing that we've entered into a relationship with the living God of the universe, the eternal I am. As a children's ministry worker for over 40 years, I've invested most of my life in the spiritual formation of children. Unfortunately, studies show that many of our young people will grow up in our Christian homes, attend our services, sit in our classes, hang out in our youth groups, but when they have the first chance to choose for themselves, many times they walk away from everything they've been taught. Why? While not always the case, I believe that many times it's because they did not see the adults in their lives being actively transformed into Christ's likeness. Church was just a family social tradition, not a life-giving, daily, engaging relationship with Christ. A relationship, not a polite nod in God's direction. Galatians 2.20, the apostle Paul described the transformed life in this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Philippians 3, 7 to 14, Paul declares that his goal in life is to know Christ and to experience his power to change his life. Listen as I read a few phrases from this passage. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and being found in him. Then a verse or two down, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was serious about this. It was not just a tradition or a social activity. He knew that positionally he was already sanctified in God's eyes because of the work of Christ. But here, Paul speaks of a daily struggle of becoming like Christ and having victory over his sinful tendencies. Let's look at how that process works. In order to discover the process of becoming like Christ, we have to first understand that the struggle is real. The struggle is real. In our journey to become like Christ, to experience sanctification in our daily lives, we face three enemies. And I've noted them on our board here. I originally put them in red, but uh, it didn't quite come out on the camera, so we went to black. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all against us. Romans 12.2 reminds us to not allow the world to squeeze us into its shape or mold. I've always been amazed at the world of plastics. It seems as though so many things, for good or for bad, are made of these compounds. Our clothes, our houses, our cars, our machines, so many articles that we use daily. Like plastics that can be extruded or shaped through pressure, we daily face pressure to think like the world thinks and ignore our creator God. Sin is often legal, attractive, easy, rewarded, normal, acceptable, entertaining, can be rationalized, it's even popular, and often enjoyable. We're like the proverbial frog in the kettle. And kids, here's a disclaimer. Don't try this at home, okay? Uh, promise me that, all right? But if you put a frog in a kettle with water on the stove and gradually increase the temperature, the frog, even though he could at any moment, will not jump out and escape. 
He gradually adjusts to the warmer temp and eventually waits until it's too late. It gets too hot and then he perishes. Then of course, it's frog legs for supper. Sorry. In a similar way, we have become so acclimated to the sin around us and thinking like the world thinks. It's our default. We do not realize how much sin has negatively shaped our minds and attitudes. We need to have our minds renewed and learn, need to learn to think like God thinks. A second challenge to godly living is our flesh. When we trust Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, our old sinful nature is not eradicated. Some have believed that in the past and still do today, but it's not true, according to the scriptures. Those spiritually defeated and powerless, our old nature still wages war on us. The Apostle Paul talked about this struggle in Romans 7 and in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Unless we renew our minds and intentionally yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit's control, our default is to live in the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 to 23 gives us illustrations. We're not going to read it, but you can see there the deeds of the flesh and the results that that produces. And on the other side, the results of the Holy Spirit being in control of our life. A third challenge to experiencing victory over sin is the devil himself. As part of God's divine plan, he has allowed the evil one, Satan, to exercise limited authority as the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that this God has gone so far as to even blind the minds of unbelievers. And he wages war, spiritual war, against those who've trusted Christ. Ephesians 6 10 to 12 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan was defeated at the cross of Calvary, but when we allow him and his false ways of thinking to dominate our view of life, he still influences us and robs us of our rightful experience of walking in blessed fellowship and victory with our Redeemer God. Facing these obstacles, what are we to do? Is there any hope? Yes. 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 I'd like to use the word hope, H-O-P-E. As an acronym for us today, 
to help us both discover and then remember how we can have victory in our Christian lives. H stands for, you guessed it, the Holy Spirit. If we're ever to have victory in our Christian lives, it's not something we can generate in our own strength. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. As we prepare to live victoriously and fulfill God's plan for our lives, we need first to be convinced that the Holy Spirit is present within us and yield to him on a moment-by-moment basis. This is called the filling of the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 17 to 21 talks about this. It says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Don't let that control you. But be filled or controlled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit is yielding control to God. It's simple, it's powerful, and it's repeatable. God will lovingly place you in situations every day Situations that will challenge you to believe him and trust him. In those moments, he asks us to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill and control us. Control our thoughts, our words, our actions. Without his help, we're sure to fail. We cannot live spiritual lives without the Holy Spirit being in charge. When he's in control, however, we have a joyful, worshipful heart. We're thankful. We have a submissive attitude towards others. And in Galatians 5, and 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the results of him being in control. We'll experience love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that sound like me? Does that sound like you? Our next letter, O, stands for obedience. If we want to have victory over sin, we not only need to yield control of our lives to the Holy Spirit, we need to obey what we know to be true. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified or set apart by the impact of the truth of his word. Romans 12, 2, once again, says that we're, our lives are changed or transformed by the renewing of our minds. We learn to think as God thinks, seeing the world and our place in it from his perspective. We need to be reprogrammed to believe what God says about us. Obedience to what we already know from God's word with the Holy Spirit's help 
will set us on the path to having daily victory over the worldly pleasures, the fleshly impulses, and the evil attacks that are sure to come our way. There's a song that our kids learned when they were younger. It talks about obedience. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Our next letter, P, stands for prayer. If we're going to experience victory over sin, we need to be in communication with our loving Father. Over and over again, Jesus invited us to call out to him in prayer. He wants us to live in moment-by-moment communion with him, to pray without ceasing. In Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. 1 John 2.2 and Hebrews 7.25 say that Jesus is an advocate with the Father. He's standing up for us, pleading our case and the work that he's done on our behalf. He's actively praying for us. Praying should be like breathing to us. Each time we pray, we're declaring there is a God who loves us and has a plan and a purpose for our lives. The last letter... E, I'll suggest the word expect. Expect. You know, the West Texas rancher did not experience how wealthy he was until he went to the bank for the first time and withdrew some of the money. He considered what was true, then he calculated or relied on that truth and expected to now live as a rich man. In a similar way, Christ's followers had been given victory over a defeated foe. But often, we live as though it's not true. In Romans 6, 11 to 14, Paul urges us to believe what Christ has done for us and to expect victory over the worldly system, our fleshly desires, and our defeated foe. Listen as I read. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present them yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but are under grace. 1 John 4.4 says that greater is the Holy Spirit who is in you than Satan who is in the world. 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 10:13 says that our faithful God will help us escape from any temptation that we face. 
expect it to be true. You know, Satan loves to gaslight us. You know that term? Convincing us of an alternative reality that somehow we're still bound by sin. In many ways, we're like the youngster standing on the edge of the pool and the loving father is saying, jump, I gotcha. Come on, believe it. And it takes everything that the young child has to trust and jump into the arms of his loving father. He's gotcha. God the Father desires that God the Holy Spirit use the written word of God to daily shape us into the likeness of his Son, the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Our hope is in God. His plan is to make us holy. The key is to let the Holy Spirit fill you, to obey what you know to be true, to be in prayer and conversation with God, and to expect the victory that is already won. I love to watch football games, but sometimes your, bet, your favorite team doesn't play like they are able to, or they play maybe a, a lesser team and they play down to their level. Wouldn't we watch the games differently if we knew that our favorite team would always win in the end? The victory has already been won. As we allow the Holy Spirit to enter and fill each part of our lives with his presence and power, our lives will be gradually changed. But it's a daily process. There are no quick fixes or workarounds. I'd like to challenge you right now as we begin this new year to prayerfully consider perhaps one area of your life that you would like to especially yield to the control of the Holy Spirit this year. Has God spoken to you about one thing? One thing that perhaps you can have victory over in this coming year? Symbolically, we're saying that, Lord, we want you to have victory over this area of our life. We want that victory to be experiential and real. Whether it's on a note in one of the boxes here, or whether it's a note in your Bible or something that sticks in your mind as you leave this place today. May God in the next 365 days make his presence very tangible and real in your own experience. Please pray with me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word, for the clarity of it, Help us to understand it's not just about experiencing freedom from our, the penalty of our sins. You want us to live in victory every day, free from the power of our sin also. May this year be the year that we see that victory in our lives. In Jesus' name.